0: standing, and we will welcome Pastor Bob Gannon to the front here. Give him a warm welcome, y'all. All All right. It's good to be here this morning. I always enjoy the opportunity to be able to come and and to um, share from God's Word. Uh, to you, and uh, again, um, not taking lightly uh, the Word of God, and, and we should never take lightly uh, His Word, um, and, and especially in the teaching and the preaching of His Word, it, it is so uh, important uh, that what we see and what we look at is the Word of God. Because it is the word of God that, that has the power to transform and to change lives. It is the word of God that will not return void. I have one of those ears that these things just kind of don't stay on very well. So hopefully it won't keep falling off. But, but anyway, let's pray. Father, may your truth be that which stands be that which is remembered, be that which you use by your Spirit in us to challenge us, convict us, transform us into the likeness of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I was thinking of... of uh Stories of underdogs. Today, we're we're looking at the story of of uh, David and, and Goliath. And um, one of the things that comes to mind uh, for me um, was my my son. I have I have four children, three that that were our own a boy, girl, boy, and then we adopted uh, a boy um, last year. And so, um, and and he's 19 years old. So anyway so so we didn't have to change diapers or anything like that but uh, but my uh, son Jackson, the third son um, or the third child um, jackson was it was built way different than me if 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 you saw me and Jackson standing by each other, maybe you'd see a little resemblance in our face but but he is. Completely different. When he was a senior in high school, he was 6'1, 265 pounds, and um, all of it muscle. Um, And and so, uh, just uh, he was completely dedicated to serving God through being the best that he could be in whatever it was. And uh, so, he's a guy that um, just just to give you an idea. He was two, he weighed 261 pounds. He bench-pressed 415 pounds as a senior in high school. Um, and uh, through the shot put, got second at state in the shot put in class A. And so um, I quit wrestling Jackson before he was 14. When I couldn't put my arms around him anymore, that was it. I didn't wrestle him. I beat him the last time we ever wrestled. and And so that's my claim to fame. And so um cuz i knew the moment that i couldn't wrap my arms around him it was over so anyway when he was 14 years old jackson jackson was one who who when in the midst of of pressure and things like that would begin to if things didn't go right he would begin to cry he would begin to lose it and and especially in baseball and and he was a pitcher at times and yet he didn't like to pitch because of the pressure and so when he was 14 years old, there was a max out camp, FCA max out camp that came to town. And um, Jackson went to that max out camp. And there was a guy by the name of Robbie Trent who who was there who who really challenged him and inspired him. And, and Jackson came away from that, sold out that whatever he did, he was going to do for the glory of Christ. And, and so there was a transformation that was beginning to happen in his life. So here's this guy who who's a little chubby because he's on steroids because of – of uh, when he was little, he was on steroids because of asthma. And, and so he, he became a little chubby and, and stuff like that. But anyway – he played first base for the baseball team <clears throat> the 14-year-old baseball team out of Kearney they made it to state and they made it to the state finals and they're going up against a school that feeds or up against a team that feeds into west side omaha west side and um, and, and so we were down to our, our one of our last pitchers and he was struggling big time and he was walking a lot of guys and by the second inning, the score was 11-zip. We were losing. And, and there was just no, no chance. To obviously, the underdog, obviously, they, they had swept through the, the tournament, and, uh, and it did not look good. And, and so um, my wife said, I, I didn't get to see the game, but my wife said the coach came out to talk to his pitcher, and all of a sudden Jackson comes over from first base, and she said all she saw him do was, Hold out his hand. And, and then the coach put the baseball in his hand. Come to find out later, he said, Coach, give me the ball. And, and the coach worked with Jackson, and he understood the issues that Jackson had. And, and he just said, Jackson, are you sure? And Jackson said, give me the ball. Well, they didn't score another run. They didn't get another guy on base. Uh, he threw his best game ever, and they ended up winning 13-11. to 11. So being the underdog down 11 zip after two innings, you know you hear of of underdog stories. Oftentimes, they're referred to the David and Goliath stories, right? Have you heard that? That this is David versus Goliath. This is the underdog against against the champion. Uh, you know some some stories that that students probably won't remember, but staff maybe will. If you remember. Uh, The 1980 Olympics, uh, Winter Olympics at Lake Placid in the United States was going against Russia. And Russia had never uh, uh, lost in, in I don't know how many, 15 years they had dominated this sport in the Olympics. And the USA beats them four to three. That was considered a David versus Goliath. And then um, in 2008... Uh, the Patriots were undefeated going into the Super Bowl. If, you, if Some of you, a lot of you maybe won't remember, but some of you remember. I remember it because my favorite team was Miami Dolphins at one time who went 17-0, and the only undefeated team to ever go through in football. And now here's the Patriots, and they're 18-0 and going into the Super Bowl, and they're going up against the Giants who were wild cards. All right? There's no chance, and the Giants win 17-14. to So... Um, so you 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 see uh sometimes the underdog wins and um and how many of you know the story of david and goliath right you you've heard the story right you heard the story probably in sunday school and and um and so and in the story of David and Goliath, there is the underdog right we We, we all know that there is an underdog and And let me just tell you off the start, it's not David. It's not David. As we come to this narrative in First Samuel seventeen, if you turn there in your Bible, let me start off by saying that that when when you're looking at a narrative in the Old Testament, and especially a narrative like this one, um, it is vitally important to listen to the text. It's vitally important to, to look and read through the text and, and to really listen to it. And what you're looking for are a few things. You're looking for, is there a word that's used over and over again? That's one of the things that you look for. Is there a phrase that, that is used fairly often in the text? You look for that but one of the most important things that you're looking for in the midst of a narrative like this is you want to see where does it begin talking about God and what God is about. That's what you want to know because that's what the narrative is about. Because, see, if you get off track on this, then then you can begin to make some major mistakes and teach all this junk about David and Goliath that it's about it's about courage. It's about this underdog. It's about facing your giants. And, and I can't tell you how many messages that I've heard on David and Goliath that that moves to that point that 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 says that this is about go be a David and, and go face your giants. Whatever your giant may be in your life, go face that giant. This is not about going and facing your giants. This is not about courage. That's not what this narrative is about. But you can miss it when you don't look to see where God is in the midst of it. You don't look to see what God is doing in the midst of it. And so, so many people will, will begin to think, well, I, ne- I need to fight my giants, whether it's a bully in school, whether it's a domineering team that I'm going to face in sports or uh, at school or, or, or battling even your poor self-image. And and I've even heard the message move along that lines as well. I don't know, can I just go to a handheld? <laughs> All right. Awesome. This will be better. I won't be able to use my hands. So anyway. But but in this text, what you find there's a word that's used five times, and in the Hebrew it's the word herop, and it means to defy, it means to mock, it means to taunt, and it's used five times in this. There's a also, um, or, or I'm sorry, it's used six times. But there's also a phrase that is used, and, and this phrase is the this phrase the Lord delivered. Or the Lord will deliver. The phrase is used by David. And it reveals to us something important about David. It reveals to us David's faith. And that's beginning to let us know what is this about? What is this text really about? And that's one of the clues right there it's about David's faith. The word Harop is meaning, again, to taunt, to reproach, to defy. It's used in connection with this big boy, or, or should I say this, huge brute from Gath. All right? And this helps us understand Goliath more. It helps us understand the situation that is really going on. Because this giant has a big blabbering mouth who dishonors and taunts the God of Israel. So I want to look at this narrative, but the first thing I want to do is, is just quickly go through the setting, right? And so it begins in, in verses 1 through 3, and it really tells us basically where this battle is. And so the battle between the Philistines and Israel is in the Valley of Elah. It's about 12 to 14 miles to the west of Bethlehem, right? So if you see in the, in, in your... Maps in the back, you can just kind of go to the left about whatever the scale is there, about 12 to 14 miles. That's where they are. Verses 4 through 7 then begin to describe this undefeated champion of the world, right? This Goliath. And so verse 4 says, This champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. So he's nine foot six inches tall. David is probably five foot eight. All right, so this guy's about four feet taller than David. Okay, just giving you a a picture of of this guy. He wears a bronze helmet on his head, and he's clothed with scale armor, which weighed about 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had about 129 pounds of armor on his body. Okay, which also included covering his legs, his shins. And then we see that, that he has this spear that he carries, and its shaft is like a weaver's beam, and the head on the shaft is a piece of iron, and that piece of iron weighs about 15 pounds. So could you imagine that being thrust at you with this brute that is nine foot six inches tall and he th- thrusts that at you, it would do a lot of damage, right? And he comes out in verses eight through 10, he shouted to the ranks of Israel, And he said to them, why do you come out and draw up in battle array? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him become and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants. All right. And so and then again, this. Philistine, here's one of the times he uses this word, I defy the ranks of, of uh, Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So when he defies the ranks of Israel, he's also defying God because God, Israel is God's chosen people. He also defies God later on. And so what does the army do? What does Saul do? Look at this, verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Right? So they're, they're in fear. I mean, they're, they're looking for the panic button to hit. That, that's what's going on as they see this. And then all of a sudden, here we are in the midst of this narrative, and it's getting exciting, and we're watching it. And all of a sudden, now David was the son of the Ephrathite, Bethlehem of Judah, whose name was Je-. It's like, what? All of a sudden, we we have this commercial break, and, and it's about this guy named David. All right, and and, and it gives a family history, but pra- praise God! All of a sudden, that's in the middle of it, so we can catch our breath. All right, after seeing this giant who's coming, but then, and he continues on uh, of the older three sons, and and then he goes on. David was the youngest of the three older. Uh, of the three, Now the three oldest followed Saul. And in verse 15, but David went back and forth because Saul, David would play his heart for Saul, if you remember that story, I think from chapter 16. Then all of a sudden, so the commercial's over and we come back, but it says the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. And then all of a sudden we're back to, it's really not a commercial, it's an infomercial. Because here's more verses concerning David. And, and and these are important. So Jesse said to his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. All right, so so he's talking to David, and he's going to send David to where the battle is. I mean, does 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 Jesse know what he's doing? Does he know where he's sending his youngest son into this battle? Does he know that there's this giant there? Does Jesse know this? Does does he know though how important David's presence is going to be there? Does Jesse know that, that David's arrival is going to be what changes everything? Verse 19. Jesse says, for Saul and they are and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. No, he doesn't know. Right? They're not fighting. Israel's in fear, and this giant is defying them. He doesn't know what's going on. And yet, he's sending his son by the providence of God. David is being sent. And, and you got to understand that, that God is at work in all things, in all areas of your life, that the things that you face today, the situations that you come up against, whatever it may be, it's all in the hands of God. And by his providence, he puts those things in your life in order to challenge you, in order to to mature you and, and grow you in your faith and cause you to become more and more like his son. And so here is the providence of God in sending David. And David arrives to the scene in verse 20, early in the morning. And so he arrives, he, he lays his baggage aside and, and stuff like that. And and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle array. And then the, David leaves the baggage and the care of the baggage keeper, and he wants to go to the to the battle lines and see what's going on. And as he goes. Goliath spats off his big mouth one more time, but this time David hears it. So as he was talking with them, behold, the champion, verse 23, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines and he spoke the same words. And this time David heard him defying Israel and defying Israel's God. Right away, what does David see? Verse 24. When the men of Israel saw that, they fled because they were greatly afraid. And David's like, what? What's what's going on? Why are you running away? Why don't they face the giant? Let me just tell you this right now. It's not about courage. It's not about strength. It's not about the best weapons. What's it about? What's it about? I think it's about David's faith. All right? And even greater than that, it's about the honor of the Lord God. Verse 26, look at what David says. Understand, when I'm reading this, this is the first time David speaks in the Bible. This is the first time he speaks, first time we we get to hear his words. David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Right? There's the theme of the narrative right there. Do you realize that these are, again, these are David's first words recorded in the Bible. We are about to hear him in chapter, we hear about him in chapter 16. We hear about David as he's anointed by Samuel to be the next king. We also know from chapter 16 and verse 7 that God was not looking at the outer appearance for, for, for his king, but he was looking at what? The heart, right? He was looking at the heart. And so and David is the one who's chosen. So we know that David has his heart. God knows David's heart. And and I want you to think about this for a moment. We've been in this narrative for 25 verses. 25 verses and all 25 verses have been godless. Godless. Do you ever have godless moments in your life? Do you ever have godless moments in your day? You get going about your day and, and, and you don't even think about God. You think about all the other things. You're thinking about decisions that you have to make and you're trying to make those decisions. And also, maybe the last thing that comes to mind, oh, yeah, maybe maybe I should pray about that or maybe I should look to the scripture about that. Do you ever have godless moments? Sporting events, classroom time, school business meetings. But we say we think, well, well we're Christians. We claim Christ. We'll be okay, right? They were Israel. They were the chosen people of God. They were the ones that God delivered out of the hands of the Egyptians. They are the ones that God led out and plundered Egypt and, and, and brought them and brought them through the Red Sea. They are the people that God took into the, the promised land of Canaan, where they are where this battle's taking place. This is their God, and they're godless. Where are you? Because you look at. Oftentimes we think, "Where is God now?" But the, really, the question is, "Is where am I? Where Where is God in the midst of this for Israel? No, where Where is Israel, with their God? And that's something that we we need to think about. Notice David's not caught up with Goliath's size. He's not caught up with his weapons, his armor. Now, what does David see? David sees what God sees. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who is taunting and defying Israel's God? Who is the one true God, the only God? Isn't that where our minds should go? Isn't that where, where we should be, is seeing things from the perspective of, of, of God? I mean, David brings a whole new worldview into this situation. Do you see that? It's a whole new worldview. He's looking at it from the perspective of God. He's looking at it from the perspective of his Lord. And, and, and he's looking at the situation, and he sees one who's defying the Lord. He brings a whole new perspective of thinking. As believers, we need to think differently. That's what Romans twelve two is all about. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how important it is that we renew our mind. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, if we have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Because when we set our things on the earth, then we get caught up with the things on earth. We get caught up with the world. We begin to have the doubts. We begin to have maybe even the fears like Israel's having. And we begin to make decisions and choices that don't go well. Because we left God out of the picture. Do you see your life through God's eyes? Are you quick to go to him in prayer? Are you quick to go to his word? whether it is a big decision or even small ones, because look, even the smallest decision that you make is so important. When I was about 14 years old, uh, we were up in the mountains in Colorado, and, and my cousin and I were went out the back door of the cabin and started walking up the mountain and down, and, and we were walking for a while, and we decided, you know, we, we probably better get back. And so we turned around, and, and we looked, and we thought, well, what's, There there's these two trails. That it looked like they were pretty close to each other, so we took the one on the right, and we started going back. And when we finally reached the road, we were three miles away from the cabin. It just shows you how, how quickly just something that looks so small like that, how, how it can distance you. And if you have godless moments that build up upon each other, pretty soon you become godless. And pretty soon you become like the world. That's Israel. Israel when you choose to follow Christ, no matter the cost, what will he do for you? Do you see your life through through God's eyes? Decisions for your future? Do you pray about them? Do you trust them into His hands? How about just even decisions that you make today? Do you compromise? And, and you just think, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but, but my other Christian friends do it. So, so really, what's the big deal? How about the choices that, that you make as, 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 as a school and the direction that the school heads? Are they godly? Do you bring all things before him? Because it doesn't take much to be like Israel and to become godless and to become more like the world. When you choose to follow Christ no matter the cost sometimes those who are close to you will mock you look what happens David is is asking these questions and now his oldest brother Eliab comes and he hears and he speaks to the men and Eliab's anger burned against David and he and he said why have you come down and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart for you have come down in order to see the battle you know Let me, you know whose voice this is? This is the voice of Goliath before David ever meets Goliath. This is the voice of Goliath of the enemy that's behind Goliath. This is the voice of the devil who who spews out evil. And it's his oldest brother. This is Eliab who who spews. God rejected and told Samuel, no, I'm not looking at the outer appearance. I'm looking at the heart. He's like Goliath, like the devil, evil and deceit come out of his mouth. Then he meets Saul, verse 31, when the words when David were heard, they told to Saul and uh, and he sent for him and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fell on account of him. Your servant will go fight with this Philistine. All right. So now look at Saul's words. Then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth. While he is, has been a warrior from his youth. You, you hear the voice there? This is, this is another voice of Goliath. This is the voice of the world. Well, you see, we face The voice of the enemy, which is the devil. Those are the temptations. The voice of the world and self. And now here's the voice of the world. You have no chance against this guy. David, have you looked at yourself? Anybody have a mirror so he can see what he looks like? There's no way you can go up against him. And then you come down and he finally relents to let David go. But notice notice his words now. To, to David, as, as, as we come to <coughs> verse 38, he says, Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed them with his armor. And David girded his sword and his armor, and he tried to walk, and, and, and he was not able, uh, uh, for he had not tested them. All right? And, and so what's Saul saying to David there? He's saying that, look, you're not rightly equipped. You need to put on my armor. You need to put on my stuff. You need to look like me. You need to look like the world. Ever tempted? You don't measure up. So you have his own king telling him, his own brother. A voice of Goliath. And you're going to face this every day, whether you acknowledge it or not. So the only thing left is selfish pride. So let's see what David does. Verse thirty-four, but David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep, and when the lion and a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and the and so here he is. He he's playing this out. And David uses these words, attacked. Uh, struck in verse 35, attacked and struck, and killed all words of military battle. He uses those words. And so all of a sudden, is, is pride welling up in David? Look what I've done. I, I, I've conquered the lion. I've conquered the bear. Look what I've done. Look what he says in verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And, and so Saul told him to go. But David acknowledges it's not him. No, there's not pride. Yahweh delivered me. And, and, and you know what Yahweh's going to do? This is what he tells King Saul Yahweh delivered me from, from the lion and the bear, and he's going to add this uncircumcised Philistine to the pile. He's going to do it. That's his faith. It's faith. This is is why he would go face to face with a giant, a seasoned warrior, with a tattoo of his mother on his bicep or something. This is why he would go up against him. Because David knows his God. David has seen his God work in his life. David has a personal relationship with his God. And he knows him, and he understands him, and he longs to live for him. He was a man after God's own heart. That was David. And he could see that God could do mighty things. And, and there is no doubt in his mind that this giant who mocks and defies his God, his God is going to deliver this defying giant to the pile. David doesn't ascribe his victories to luck. Doesn't ascribe it to his skill. Obviously, he has skill. Doesn't even ascribe it to his bold or daring, courageous attitude. Yahweh delivered him. Do you have that type of faith? Do you know that whatever circumstance you find yourself in, that the God that you put your trust in, in Jesus Christ, and his promise is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you know that, that Jesus said in Matthew 6 that if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you, clothing, food, shelter, that he has you? Do you believe that? Is this the God that you serve? Is this the God that you live for? So let's go to the battle. Verses 41 through 44. Goliath dominates the scene. When you when you read those verses, 41 through 44, he dominates the scene. And, and what you see is this Philistine came and did this. This Philistine said this. This Philistine did that. He looked there. And, and five times it, it talks about the Philistine. And so you you just get, wow, this guy is like the world champion. Then you get to David. And in 45 through 47, I want you to pull out. What does David refer to? 45, then David said to the Philistine, you came to me with a sword, a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands." Six times he talks about who the Lord. You see where he is? you see where he sees the battle? Do you see that when, when you have struggles, the battle is really there? It's, it's really between that and, and God whom you serve, whom you love, who, who you desire to live for. And, and he is ready to deliver you out of the temptation, out of the struggles, out of the trials. He's ready to do that. Do you believe that? Do you see that? That's what David brings to this. And, and, and he wants all the earth to know. So, so who's the underdog in this story? Who's the underdog? The underdog is Goliath. Because Goliath is going up against who? Not David. He's going up against the Lord God. Do you understand the world is the underdog? Do you understand that? That that even the trials and the struggles that you face, those are the underdogs because you serve a mighty, awesome God. You can't miss this. Is this your faith? Is this your God you serve? We can't miss David's faith was real. It was personal. He loved God with his whole being. He would not stand by and let his God, whom he loved, be mocked. That's those five words, be mocked, defied, taunted. He would not allow that to happen. And when when you're around somebody who's taunting God, who's who's using God's name in vain, do you stand up for God's honor? That's what David is doing here. It's for the honor of his God because his faith has moved in his heart for his God. And I'm going to honor him no matter what the world may say. No matter what the world may do, and the world's hating more and more the things of of righteousness, and and, and you just see the battle that's going on in Israel, and it's really all, it's a religious war. It's all against uh, the God that they stand for, even though Israel needs God. Israel needs Christ, and so do the Palestinians. And so when you pray for that situation, you pray for both people. We're going to be persecuted. There's going to be mighty things that may come our way because we believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Will you stand to the end to honor that and honor him? Will you allow your faith to be stirred, to live for him, and to not have those godless moments? Yes, we. David had godless moments in his life. We know that, but he always came back, and he always came back, and he repented, and may we be that. See, David is driven by a passion for the honor of God. This chapter is not about David's courage, but it's about God's sufficiency. It's about his faithfulness. It's not about David's honor, but solely for the honor of God. This is about the glory of God. Is that what you're about? Father, thank you for your word. Challenge our hearts, move us to become more and more like Jesus and to see things as you see them. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Gannon. Appreciate that.